The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome everybody this uh, Friday morning. You're watching Squawkbox. We are live from London and Osaka. CNBC confirms that Xi Jinping is ready to give President Trump a set of demands for a trade deal, including lifting a ban on Huawei, while Trump talks of security in 5G right here at the Osaka summit. As we expand digital trade, we must also ensure the resilience and security of our 5G networks. This is essential to our shared safety and prosperity. Stocks across Asia edge lower as the president talks trade with a series of world leaders and Xi Jinping warns against rising protectionism. Morgan Stanley boss James Gorman tells CNBC US-China talks will have no tidy ending and could drag on for a decade, damaging global growth. We can't have a trade war. It will have a devastating effect to the global economy. And Credit Suisse is the only bank to get a conditional pass in the second round of the Fed's annual stress test, while Deutsche Bank sails through in a positive sign for its U.S. operations. Welcome to the Friday show. It's less than 24 hours before U.S. President Trump and the Chinese President Xi sit down for highly anticipated trade talks at the G20 summit in Osaka. Now, CNBC has confirmed, this is a really interesting line, that China will seek a balanced trade deal. What does that mean? Uh, We'll come back to that throughout the show because I've had questions about that. Me and my production team, Big Mike, we've been chatting about this as well. What does balanced trade deal mean? All right, it's not necessarily what you think. We'll come back to that. A request anyway that the US is unwilling to agree to according to a person familiar with the matter. Now, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, of course, called for the integrity of the global supply chain to be upheld as he addressed G20 leaders in Osaka. Uphold the integrity and dynamism of the global industrial chain, build on our comparative strengths to promote win-win cooperation. We cannot develop ourselves behind closed doors, nor shall we cause disruptions to the market. Leaders from G20 countries have also held talks on the digital economy in Osaka with the president, Mr. Trump, uh, describing the need for a secure and resilient 5G network as, quote, critical. According to two uh, CNBC sources, Chinese President Xi Jinping will seek to remove a U.S. ban on Huawei as part of a trade deal. Again, more questions. Is Huawei a separate national security issue for the U.S. and the West and the Five Eyes grouping? Or is it actually a bargaining chip? Uh, for trade. I think these are all important questions as well. Important questions that the markets are looking at because we have had a fantastic month on the markets, but a week, a month, a week on the markets as well. For instance, the uh, US indices, are they here? Um, were flattish uh, in the session on the Dow. 
slight gains on the uh, S&P 500, but decent performance on the uh, Nasdaq there as well. Week to date, I can tell you, though, we're still down 0.7% on the Dow and 0.9% of 1% on the S&P. Have a look at the dollar crosses as well. Very interesting that the S, uh, dollar index having its worst month since January 18, but still trading way higher uh, than many uh, of the bears on the dollar, I think it would be given the fact that we've had quite dovish comment uh, coming out of Mr. Powell as well. Talking to Mr. Powell, we've got the PCE figures today, the inflation data, absolutely key for you Fed watchers. And I will tell you about one more bit of data as we look at the Asian markets as well. Really decent numbers uh, out of Japan. And yet the market down 0.51%. Let me just remind you, Japan had industrial production growth quickening in May, yeah, quickening up 2.3%. Capital goods shipments were at a seven month high. Unemployment at 2.4% as well. So not all bad data out there at the moment. Uh, Jeffrey, got to Yeah, let's um, just bring up some pictures here that are, are, are germane to what you're actually talking about at the wall here. This is uh, President Trump and President Putin. Uh, these pictures coming to us live from Osaka. Do we have some audio? Can we maybe... Uh Take the audio. Well, I cannot put it with Mr. President. We have something to discuss here. All the topics have been outlined. We haven't seen each other since Helsinki meeting. Although our teams have been together working and they gave us a great opportunity to follow up on that. Thank you very much for both teams for that. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm not sure um, that that's great television, listening to the reporters shouting over each other. But we are, we're going to, it is, we're going to continue listening to the audio just to see whether there are any clear questions and whether uh, either President uh, Trump or President Putin say something here. But it looks to me as though the security are now standing up and ushering the reporters out, the cameras backing away. Just a couple of notes here, just before we get back out to Nancy in Osaka. So these two leaders haven't met in seven months or so. Uh, the Mueller, this is the first time they've met since the Mueller report was released. Um, as we know, the beginning of the relationship back in 2016 was supposed to be warm. It was meant to be a reset here. But I think, as you could see very clearly from the body language and the fact that they barely looked at each other, things have taken a very different turn here. And I don't think we learned a, a great deal from President Putin's answer to that last question, where effectively, as far as I could tell, it, it was just brass plate commentary thanking uh, uh, President Trump for his uh, presence here. Anybody else want to chip in? 
Not on that relationship. No. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll get back to the the she then, shall we? Let's. Okay. Um, let's I think you were up. trying to get in there. Do you want to say I something? Was, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Jeff, I, you were in Russia recently, and yeah. I, you raised a really interesting point there about how Russia and China have really accelerated their relationship, and of course that comes as the U.S. and China have moved apart. But I think one of the key questions here is if we do see U.S.-China relations improve, where does that leave Russia in the context of Beijing? I think it's a, it's a terrific question. It's one that we discussed a lot in St. Petersburg. And have the Russians gambled? Uh, but, but it led to a very interesting squawk box where I talked about the, the phrase that President Putin used where he paraphrased a Chinese saying or proverb and talked about the clever monkey climbing up the tree as the two tigers fight and that monkey was meant to be where russia sits in this and the suggestion is that russia will be adept enough to balance off these two powers but of course that remains to be seen as we watch this power politics play out indeed talking to power politics nancy who joins us in osaka covering all of these uh, amazing relationships and watching how they unfold Nancy, I want to reference another one of our colleagues. Uh, Kayla Tausche had a great piece. It's on top of CNBC.com now. We must get all our viewers to look at this as well because I think it's intriguing. China wants a balanced trade deal at the summit. And it got all of us around the newsroom here saying, what does that actually mean? We didn't just write the words down without thinking. What does balanced trade deal mean? Because the initial thing would be, oh, they want some form of trade balance. Well, that's impossible with the Chinese selling $400 billion more worth of goods every year to the US and the other way around as well. That just doesn't seem sensible. So when they say balance. They mean balance in the language as well. What are the hopes? Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Steve. I think that is correct. They want a balanced trade deal when it comes to the rhetoric, the language that's included, because they don't want this to be seen as a punitive piece of paperwork that is meant to harm China in any way. Because remember, Xi Jinping, like President Trump, has to answer to his domestic audience back at home. So here in Osaka, they'll be dealing with the issues on the table with trade and technology that you've already alluded to, but they have to answer to people back home. And when we talk about the U.S. side, reading through Kayla's piece, she was pointing out that from the U.S. side, the likes of Representative Lighthizer will say, well, it can't be balanced because this, in their eyes, is seen as a way to level the playing field for what President Trump often calls years of abuse, years in which they feel that the U.S. has been taken advantage of by China because of things like their violations of intellectual property right and the unlevel playing field that President Trump sees in things like the currency framework as well. So they look at this more as a way, let's not say to punish China, but to bring things back to a level playing field. And China's saying, wait a minute, this needs to be on even footing. But that's not the only potentially troublesome point that China is seeking that could be fraught from the very beginning here before we get that extended meeting tomorrow here in Osaka. The other elements in which China has put forward, according to sources speaking to Kayla Taoshi, the big one on Huawei. Effectively, China seems to be saying that we want the ban lifted on components being sold to Huawei, the so-called blacklist in the U.S. They want that scrapped entirely. We know Huawei has become a central point of discussion in these trade talks and a little bit of mixed messaging coming from the administration. When I spoke to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin just a few weeks ago, he was trying to say they are still separate issues. But then President Trump will say, that Huawei could be part of a trade deal. The message that the administration puts forward is that 
first let's get the trade deal, then let's deal with the issues on Huawei. But it seems that China's almost going the other way around. They want a Huawei situation settled, at least on that issue of the blacklist, before they agree to the trade settlement. China's also talking about reducing the amount of goods they've already agreed to purchase, which could be very troublesome given that Donald Trump has talked about maybe doubling this amount that is pegged around $1.2 trillion already and they want all punitive tariffs to be removed. So while I can tell you that there's a lot of optimism and hope among the G20 leaders meeting here in Osaka that there will be at least a truce or a ceasefire when the two leaders meet tomorrow, there are still so many hurdles getting in the way of a conclusive agreement. And if you had any doubts about the way that technology is featuring so prominently in these discussions, let's give you another recap of what President Donald Trump had to say on the issues of 5G earlier. He didn't mention China specifically, but he he did raise concerns around national security and the 5G rollout with his fellow leaders here in Osaka. Take a listen. As we expand digital trade, we must also ensure the resilience and security of our 5G networks. This is essential to our shared safety and prosperity. Further, the United States opposes data localization and policies which have been used to restrict digital trade flows and violate privacy and intellectual property protections. The United States seeks a future of digital trade that empowers all of our people. We look forward to working with other G20 members to advance an open, fair, and market-based digital economy that provides for the free flow of data and brings new prosperity to all of our nations. Open, fair, market-based Key messages coming from President Trump there. He doesn't even have to mention China for many to figure out who he is talking about by urging a system that he wants other members of the G20 to adopt when it comes to the 5G rollout. And there are concerns here, I can tell you, that ultimately leaders could be faced with somewhat of a bifurcation in the tech world. And that is certainly something everyone here in Osaka wants to avoid, guys. Now, look, I know you got to Osaka and a long route originally came from Detroit, but around about 300 miles away from Detroit, Pittsburgh. And I just want to go back 10 years, Nancy, because Pittsburgh, 2009, one of the key meetings ever of any G20. And I just thought I'd have a look at the statement from that as well and just see how it chimes with the current time. And there is basically 20, 31 bullets in there and it is smattered with the words balance. Balance growth, section 11, balance growth mm. in 2013. Section 13, uh, we need balanced global growth and sustainable. Section 15, strong framework, we want sustainable and balanced growth as well. I, I put it to you that we're just going to see rhetoric about balance today and we're not actually going to see uh, anything meaningful come from this. And if the Sherpas get together at a later date, then so be it and maybe we can get a deal. But as far as this G20 is concerned, will we see anything other than similar kind of rhetoric to Pittsburgh 2009? Well, I think the G20 members here have a lot at stake in proving their relevance because many have started to question what is the purpose of these communiques? As you point out, you can talk about balance in a broad sense, but show me the proof. Show me what these member countries are willing to do to make good on this promise of free trade. And many have said, okay, we're now seeing somewhat of the world flipped on its head here when you talk about Chinese President Xi Jinping kicking off this summit with a meeting with the host country, that is the Prime Minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, last night, talking about upholding things like free trade, protecting globalization. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought the U.S. was always the defender of these values. So what the U.S. is doing here, once again, is they're saying, too, we do want to promote free trade, but we want it to be fair around the world. We've heard that message before. 
And that's also come into some issues, if you will, with previous communiques at these types of meetings where they tweak the language or ask for the language to be watered down in the fair free trade commitment that the G20 will put forward. I spoke to Anhel Guria a bit earlier on of the OECD. He told me he was pretty optimistic that there will be a strong commitment in the communique about free and fair trade. But once again, it comes down to prove it after the meeting is concluded. Guys. Uh, Nancy, thank you. Uh, terrific coverage. And we'll catch up with you a little bit later on. You know, um, I mean, in my mind, it's pretty clear what the Chinese are saying when they, they say balanced trade. There's a phrase in Chinese, Xiao uh, Lian, or in Cantonese, they would say Sao Min, which means thin face, basically. And that's what the Chinese want. They want respect in the language and the text. They want to be perceived as a superpower. Their time has come. They want a coronation, acknowledgement that they are a developed Western style capitalist economy. And of course, that was what the, all the pressure in the WTO was with both Europe and the United States. The, the question is, is this US administration of a mind to give them that kind of language? I just, just one more thing. Is I, I, having been a student of many of these meetings over the years and gone to several of them as well, and I'm off to G7 later in the year as well, it reminds me again of the CAN 2011, where they talked about the surplus nations doing more and spending more. Does that sound familiar? Uh, rebalancing their economies a little bit and they were pointing the finger without naming it at China, at Germany, at Japan. Does, does it ring any bells? Does history rhyme? <laughs> As a great man once said. Uh, Morgan Stanley, Chairman and CEO James Gorman, has told CNBC US-China trade tensions represent a fundamental and ongoing reset of the relationship, but that a fix is urgently needed. We need a solution to this. There have been some trade um, uh, disparities between the countries. But the US and China account for over 40% of global GDP. Nominal GDP is about $70 trillion. US and China combined are $30 trillion. We can't have a trade war. It will have a devastating effect to the global economy. That doesn't mean there can't be changes to the way the trade agreements are being written. And I think that's what the negotiators are figuring out. Well, for more on uh, why uh, Mr. Gorman says U.S.-China trade discussions could last for a decade, head online to CNBC.com. Still to come, the U.N. warns Iran is within days of breaching the nuclear agreement. Live from Tehran with the latest when we come back. And if you just can't get enough of our G20 coverage uh, here on TV, be sure to tune in to our podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Looking at this extraordinary uh, Instec um, announcement, I'll, I'll tell you what it's all about. France and Germany and the UK are reportedly set to announce that Instec's uh, a payment channel 
designed to bolster trade with Iran is now operational. That's according to several media outlets. The mechanism was announced earlier this year in a bid to keep some lines of trade open between European, European and Iranian companies. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, meanwhile, UN inspectors said Tehran is about to exceed the amount of enriched uranium that it can accumulate under the nuclear agreement. All the current signatories of the deal will meet in Vienna for crunch talks. Now, NBC News' Ali Arutzi joins us from Tehran. Ali, always great to speak to you. But uh, this Instex payment channel, I don't understand how it can work. I don't think Patrick Pouyonne uh, of Total, who had to pull out of the South Pass development that you know so well about as well, would understand how it works because it's a dollar trading system out there as well. And eventually, any company using Instex would have to use dollars as well in other activities. And therein perhaps lies the problem for international companies looking to bypass the dollar usage in the system. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Steve. That's exactly right. I, it's, uh, I think the Iranians here are also very concerned that it is not going to work. Uh, at the end of the day, you're going to be uh, uh, exposed to U.S. extraterritorial sanctions if you use it. And no company really wants to risk using that. And anyway, it's a very modest credit line. Uh, anyway, it's not something that's going to save the Iranian economy. And it's very much geared towards humanitarian uh, uh, goods to be sent to the country to help with medicine or food or things like that. So it's not a special purpose vehicle that's all of a sudden going to revive the Iranian uh, uh, economy. Look, when, when the nuclear deal was done, uh, foreign companies were talking about Iran being, you know, one of the last frontier markets that all sorts of foreign investment was going to pour into this country. Well, Instex isn't going to going to fill that gap. Uh, and Iran is, I think, very aware of that. I mean, even one of the chief nuclear negotiators that's in Vienna right now was saying that uh, Iran's period of strategic patience is over, which means things are not really going very well with this special purpose vehicle. Um, Iran was expecting a lot of foreign investment to flow into the country when that deal was done. Not only has that not happened, they can't even sell their oil. Uh, and this very, very low credit line that's being provided by Instex is not going to satisfy uh, most people here in Iran that think the economy is in really bad shape uh, and, and much more needs to be done to revive it, i.e. removing sanctions, returning back to the nuclear deal and Iran now being able to sell its oil on the open market, which it can't. I mean, Iran's oil sales now are, at, at, I think, at a 30-year low, which is really quite incredible. And the, the oil minister here, uh, Zangina, came out uh, last week and said that, that the, the situation is so bad in Iran that uh, they can't even rebadge their oil and sell it. Uh, and he says, it's, he says it's even worse than the time during the Iran-Iraq war, Steve. Ali, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for that great report there. Ali Arutzi joining us out of Tehran. Right, part two of the uh, huge debate. Yes, uh, fresh round of Democratic game. presidential candidates, night two, yeah, in Miami. And during this debate, uh, we saw the Democratic candidates hit out at Donald Trump and each other. Uh, it was a second night of televised debates, and the event in Miami featured 10 hopefuls, including current frontrunner Joe Biden, as well as U.S. Senators Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris. Trump's policies were targeted frequently throughout the debate, while several candidates also attacked Biden's record.
Now, NBC's Jay Gray is in Miami. Uh, Jay, coming into these debates, Joe Biden was seen as the front runner. Yesterday, we did see a rather dramatic confrontation unfold between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden for his civil rights record. Uh, in light of that, where do things stand in terms of the race? Well, Juliana, tonight, much more fire on that stage than last night. The second 10 candidates tonight were the ones that have garnered the most support in the polls and the most support from fundraising. And so you knew this was going to be more of a fight. At the end of the day, a lot of people saying that Kamala Harris really did well, and, and she's seen a huge spike as far as uh, online numbers. Now, we'll have to wait a couple of days to see how that plays out in reality if she gets more support in post-debate uh, polls, if her fundraising is tremendously enhanced because of her performance tonight. But she really pulled no punches, uh, really confronting the former vice president on the issue of race, his support for people who she says were segregationist uh, and he of course firing back saying that she was misrepresenting his position and, and that he believed that busing is, is what the issue was about uh, was something that should be decided by local governments not the federal government she said in response hey if the federal government sees a, tr a tragedy like this they need to step in they need to do something about it and the back and forth continued for quite some time it was that way throughout this second debate the candidates really took control of the issues and, and moved in directions where the moderators really at times couldn't control them. The discourse just spinning out of control at times and everyone speaking over one another. Overall, though, it was what we thought. Some of those lesser known candidates taking their shot with the other better known candidates on the stage and trying to get some airtime. It should be interesting to see in a week or so how this plays out as far as the rest of the country is concerned. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.